0: Welcome to Jodorowsky, a podcast devoted to the life and work of actor, writer, poet, playwright, novelist, editor, comics writer, musician, puppeteer, mime painter, and so much more, including director Alejandro Jodorowsky. I'm Jake yeah. Tilly, and on this episode, we're looking at Jodorowsky's most obscure and difficult-to-find film, one that is currently almost entirely unavailable and has been disowned by the director himself. It's 1980s Tusk. Joining me on this voyage are two wonderful co-hosts. First up is my usual collaborator on Cinema Board podcast. It's my own Grayson and Shakely, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam?
1: I'm pretty good. Wait, am I Grayson or Shakely?
0: You're, you're both. You're actually a combined version. Oh, of
1: okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: It's so strange. We're going to be talking about this movie, obviously, in some detail, but we're at sort of a uh, disadvantage because a lot of our potential listeners even, and certainly our regular listeners will not have seen this movie and we can sort of direct them in a way to, to, to track it down to at least see a version of it. But the, this is not like our previous, you know, uh, looks at Jodorowsky's films. This is something very, very different. Something that, that is a little bit more obscure. How do you feel about that, Liam? I do hope
1: people are still interested in it in the way that we were like for me. I, if, if I was listening to a, podcast, and they covered this, I would be excited because I didn't know anything about it. Um, And now that I've seen it, I think I'm still excited to talk about it. But, But this was what I mean, not that I didn't want to talk about the Holy Mountain, obviously, like that was a great conversation. But I was so much more excited for some of this stuff or, you know, in the future, some of the other films I haven't seen or even covering more of his comic book work. It's it's the stuff that I'm less familiar with and I'm more excited sure. about. I don't know that that's a common experience, though. There might be people for whom they're like, ah, Tusk, I don't care about that. You know, and, and, and so I'm, I'm hoping people still give this episode a chance, even if this is something they've never heard about.
0: I picture a re-release of this movie 10 years from now right? Like, it finally gets its big digital release. Jodorowski's lost film, Tusk, available to watch for the first time ever at home, and what the response might be like in a scenario like that, but that is something we're going to talk about before we finish up today. And In fact, for a project of this magnitude, we need some serious help once again. With us as always on Jodowowski is the wonderful writer-director, Julia Marchesi. Julia, how are you doing today?
2: Hi there. I'm Peachy King, fellas. Good to talk to you about my old friend, Joe <laughs>
0: Uh, we'll get into some uh, some uh, talk about the pronunciation of <laughs> Jodorowsky's name once again. I had to throw
2: another one into the mix. There we go, <laughs> the old the old Jodorowsky. Julia, we have
0: not talked at all about your feelings about the film Tusk at this point. We are obviously mm-hmm. going to bare our souls when it comes to our feelings in just a moment, but. When you're faced with this idea that this is a film that even Alejandro Jodorowsky himself does not want people to see, how does that make you feel about it? Does that make you hesitant at all uh, about doing this episode?
2: No, and, and it's funny because I hadn't—I thought that I had seen everything that he'd done, and then you—they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, we're gonna watch *Tusk*." I was like, "The Kevin Smith movie? What?" Mm-hmm. I'm so confused, and I've—I've I've mentioned this to a couple of people, and they're like. The Kevin Smith movie? I'm like, no, no, not the Kevin Smith movie. Um, I, you know, i never heard of it. And so that's really exciting to me. You know, when you get a lost film, um, like you had uh, the Orson Welles movie that just came out that got recut. But sure. then uh, mm-hmm. you're like, yes, give me all of it. I want all of it. I'll take anything. So I think it's unusual for him. And I think I'm interested to talk to you what you, you two think. And um, I read the novel that it was based on. So that, that was nice to have some sort of bearing of what this world was. Uh, so we can talk about that as well. Absolutely. I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on
0: that because I only read a bit of it. Uh, but I, one of the things we've talked about in the other Jodorowsky films we've covered so far that have also in some way been based on written works and, and adaptation of some sort was you know how far that Jodorowsky would have strayed from that source material in his creation of whatever his vision is. But the thing that's unique about Tusk, there's a lot of things unique about it, but one of the main things that's unique is that it's fairly straightforward. It's very easy to follow. It's not a difficult plot. Again, it's meant to be a children's film. And I think that that is unique in the work of Jodorowski, certainly up to this point that we've covered on this show. And I wonder if that might serve uh, it being a more uh, direct translation. And the other thing, of course, is that this is this is a film that was not written by Alejandro Jodorowsky, at least not alone, which is unique on the Jodorowsky podcast so far. But before we get into any of that, we have some announcements we have to make at the top of the show. Just a few days ago, as of the recording of this episode, was the 93rd birthday of Alejandro Jodorowsky. I was very excited. It's so funny. I was looking up information on Tusk. I was putting together an outline for this episode. And then I popped over to Jodorowsky's Wikipedia page because I needed to grab a factoid. And I saw just at that moment, I was like, oh my God, it's his birthday. And of course. It was very early early in the morning at that point, but by the end of that day, there was just everybody was talking about Jodorowski and his 93rd birthday. And it it just it's it really because Jodorowski is on social media, he has, you know, an Instagram, his sons have Instagrams, his wife has an Instagram, and you can kind of see him on uh, on a, a semi-day-to-day basis. There is a closeness that I kind of oddly feel to him as a personality, even just outside of the fact that we're doing this podcast. I saw an Instagram post uh, uh, the day after his birthday where he had been taken out to dinner, and he was given a piece of cake with a candle in it. It was just such a nice, normal thing, where nice and normal are not usually the words I would think to use when it comes to Jodowowski, but it was just kind of a sweet moment. Uh, I'm just glad. I just want to say it that I can share that moment and these moments with the both of you. I think it's such a a unique thing that we get to talk about this man, that he's still with us, that he's still being creative, and there's still so much news when it comes to his work. Speaking of his work, we are now six episodes. This is the sixth episode of Jodowowski, and I want to know, since we're at this point, and particularly because we're in a very unique position here, because Tusk is bound to be one of our, if not our shortest episode by a significant amount. Simply because there is not a lot out there. there the resources are not there. And it also isn't the density of the the material in this film, I don't think it really will lend itself to as much conversation as some of our previous films. I might be wrong, by the way. We'll see when I all have is like
2: a speech that I'm planning to give. It's like 45 minute long. It's like an essay I wrote. I hope you guys are ready. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, there mm-hmm. will be
0: a John Galtian ending to this episode. Apparently, <laughs> I'm, just gonna, I'm just
2: gonna filibuster the fuck out of this episode.
0: <laughs> uh, but I wanted to get your take on the fact that now that we are we've done five deep dives to the work of Jodorowsky. Uh, do either of you have any thoughts in regards to that? I'm going to start with you, Julia. Um, any reservations about the project now that we're, we're, we're kind of, we have our, our feet wet in it, more than our feet uh, wet at this point. We're deep into the project, but there's a long way to go at this point. Any reservations? Uh, and are, are there any big surprises or revelations to you
2: so far? I'm just excited, man, because to me, diving really deep into a subject I love is so satisfying for me. So getting to know more about him, not only as a person, but also exploring the works that I wouldn't necessarily explore on my own, mainly the comics, because honestly, I'm not, you know, the comics are not really my art you know movies are my Mm -hmm. art so it's something new for me to dive into this and being able to kind of see it as a movie in my head and which is really kind of fun and being able to see Joe Dorowski as a director in those comics makes it fun for me so I can kind of hear it in his voice in a way so I'm that's I mean I feel like those are the episodes I have reservations on just because I don't feel like as comfortable I don't have a, a big comic background like I do sure. a film background. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'm not. I don't have as much expertise as you gentlemen do. But I think it's been very fun to explore. And I can't wait to see the ones we have coming up.
0: Yeah, 100%. And that's something we'll talk about a little bit later as well. Uh, just going back to that idea, any any surprises so far uh, as we've covered these episodes? You know, it's funny that this is a uh, – the show – it kind of starts with a lot of Jodorowsky's most well-known and beloved work, right? We've already covered uh, El Topo and, and The Holy Mountain, probably his two most well-known films. And we've covered Dune, which might be outside of those two other projects, his w- most well-known thing that he's connected with. And now we're kind of, we're heading into the ether, right? We're heading into material that maybe isn't as well-traveled. Any, uh, any surprises that you've encountered?
2: I think this really – I guess this is the biggest one because this is the only one I was not aware of. So being able to watch kind of a lost Jodorowsky film, if you will, that just uh, scratches every itch I have as a cinephile. I go, yes, please. You tell me you have lost works, I'm there. (laughs)
0: Liam, you are a fuddy-duddy. Oh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, a curmudgeon, I would say. (laughs) Uh, And I just – I, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this particular thing is I want to give you an opportunity, Liam, to jump off. You're on a train, mm. it's running, running down the tracks. I know that, and you're like, I know how your eyes and brain would feel in those scenarios. And you must be looking for a way off of this podcast at this point.
1: Because of my deep resentment at you tricking me into doing an Eric Roberts podcast? Is that what you're you're saying? No. George Kennedy, Eric Roberts, you know, whatever. The George Kennedy one has been fucking great. So I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Okay. Um,
2: This is um, going to be a surprise now where he just leaves the podcast and it's just going to be you and I for the rest of the time, right? You didn't tell me or anything. No, 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 no.
1: This is, I mean, here's the thing. To some extent, Doug, you're right in that for me- we have left all all known territory other than Santa Sangre. And even that's my least watched Jodorowsky film. I actually don't, I know this is somewhat unfair, but usually I don't connect with the fan who's like, this artist has three things I like, and I return to them over and over again, and I don't explore other things they've done. That's not usually me, but for some reason that has been become the case with yodorowski that I have not made the effort to see his newer material. So I'm very excited about that. And then adding in the comics, like I, like we said before, I've seen some of them. I've read bits of the Meta Barons that were in individual issues of, of heavy metal, but I haven't really made an effort to find those either. So like in a real way, this show is giving me the opportunity, and not just the opportunity, the obligation, which I'm thankful for you know I, I think that's a real thing and and honestly I know quite a few people who they take on writing projects or podcasts or whatever because they want to do something but they know that maybe if they don't have a reason to it'll be difficult to make the time right. well I don't have an excuse if I I, I need to see these things and they're there there are things that have been on playlists uh, that I've had or or to do you know things I wanted to get done and so like We're going to do it. It's going to be great. But it is, for me, truly, everything we're doing except for Sana Sangre, I am uh, completely – I'm in the unknown. But does that make me anxious? No. It makes me excited. In fact, the things I felt anxious about to some extent were – the things I was familiar with because right. I didn't mm-hmm. want to get them wrong was one thing. And two, I knew some of them were the things that people were antsy about, that maybe we would talk about it and someone in our audience would feel like we didn't handle it well or didn't like what we had to say. Now that we're moving into unknown territory, I'm like, ah, whatever. I don't know. Let's see what's here. I have no <laughs> idea what's going to happen. I, I don't feel any sense of like – um like i owe anyone anything i am a i am i am a new person on a new journey
0: and i don't feel any reason to to feel like that's something i need to worry about a statement worthy of jodowowski himself i just said jodowowski instead of joder i love that that. that.
2: it made me so happy (laughs) what about you how do you feel
0: uh i start these projects because i want to see them continue and eventually end and i know that liam probably doesn't think i ever want these projects to end, but I do always consider an endpoint. But the fact that the endpoint of this particular project is so far down the line, I am like yourself, Liam, I'm filled with excitement about that idea. To me, I have a certain, if I have a quality within myself that I uh, admire, <laughs> I guess if you could admire your own qualities, it would be stick-to-itiveness. And that is one of the things that I like about these large projects, right? And Liam, I think you're not, you hit it on the head as well, I've, I would have always wanted to cover the work of Dorowski in great detail, but when would you ever have had the opportunity, especially trying to do it in some sort of chronological manner? You basically would have had to set aside months of time to really devote to it. I think doing it this way is good because we don't get burned out on it, at least not up to this point, but it also doing it with the both of you It also uh, gives me more of a three-dimensional view of everything that we're doing. I can see perspectives that I wouldn't see otherwise. And it also is a motivating factor, knowing that you're going to be there, knowing that you're going to be kind of digesting this as well. So I'm super excited about it. In terms of surprises and revelations, really everything that I learn about Jodorowsky seems revelatory to a certain extent. He's just such a... Complex individual and I don't feel like I know him as a person any better than I did at the beginning but the thing it kind of just kind of tying back to what I was saying a moment ago about his birthday in Some ways as a 93 year old creative force He just seems a lot more human to me now where when I was only aware of El Topo and the holy mountain and when I was first you know watching those films he, sent, he felt like something other than a human. <laughs> you know what I mean? He yes. just felt almost otherworldly. And I know that that was something that he was almost trying to project to the world. But now he's a human, you know. And, and I think that's better for us as people trying to interpret his work. Just the recognition yeah. that there are yeah. flaws there. And maybe, you know, the recognition of those flaws might tie into some of the comments that we have today. Well, I'm not done with the... Uh, announcements, by the way, this is a pretty important one. Uh, at the end of our most recent episode on the entire Inkal, uh, you know, s- series of comics, one of the things I asked the both of you is, would you be interested in some other creator taking over this series, or, or you know, making work in the Jodo verse, or making their own comics that incorporate elements of the Inkal? And I think the general consensus, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, was that where we, we weren't that that interested in that necessarily i know i know julia you specifically said that you know work like this without jodorowsky's involvement i mean for us what's the, what's the point necessarily do you still feel that way
2: i sir i certainly do yes the reason well i've I got lived, some the red th- <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was going to say, I've got some terrific news for you, <laughs> uh. uh This is an article from, uh, I think, a couple of months or a month and a half uh, back from bleedingcool.com. It says, Humanoids to expand Jodorowsky and Mobius Incol Universe for FCBD, which is Free Comic Book Day. Uh, this is a day that takes place on the 7th of May. It will be taking place in 2022. And Humanoids, the company that publishes all the Jodoverse comics, including the Inkle, uh they're releasing a special free comic book. Book Day Special, previewing three new titles that all take place in the Jodoverse. none of them being written by Alejandro Jodorowski. Uh, these titles are Psychoverse by Mark Russell and Yannick Paquette, Dying Star by Dan Waters and John Davis Hunt, and Kill Wolfhead by Brandon Thomas and Pete Woods. I mean it's still pretty exciting. These are actually some really great creators. I know Mark Russell in particular for his work on the Flintstones and Snagglepuss, which I know that sounds like a bit of a joke, but those those comics are actually really incredible. Um and seeing, you know, great creators play in this universe I do have some excitement about it, though certainly a lot of hesitation and wariness as well. Uh, Julia, now that you know that your greatest fear has come true, what are your thoughts on it?
2: (laughs) Oh, it's not my greatest fear. That's all right. I mean, that's the thing. I think I'll probably, it sounds interesting enough that maybe I'll check it out. But I guess it's the feeling like, you guys know I'm a giant Stephen King nerd, right? And the thing when, when Stephen King doesn't hit, it's because it's not enough Stephen King in there. Right. right. So like if you take the Dorowski out of the verse, how can it feel Jodo? And yeah. that's kind of what I need from it. And but, you know, it's the same thing where we have this Taika Waititi uh, adaptation that's coming out. And I feel like he's really going to try to put as much Jodorowski in there as possible. So maybe these fellows feel the same way.
0: I always worry when someone else takes kind of creative control on a property that was developed so intensely and personally by another artist and what that's going to do to it. I think a little bit about how DC has taken Watchmen over the last few years and incorporated into their larger comic universe. And I mean, I know that some people like that material and there's a lot of talented people involved, but that to me, it just feels like sort of a perversion of an idea that had sort of a purity. Maybe it's, uh, maybe purity when it comes to comics is a a little too much to ask for. Uh, Liam, your thoughts, Uh, any interest in these comic books? There's a part of me that's like, no, why
1: would I want that, you know? <laughs> but then there's another part of me that's like, I don't know. There, when I take a broader view of comics, lots of comics, at least from the big two, have been reimagined by new creators and been successful. Uh, but the, I guess, the essential difference is. I was less tied to the original versions. Like right. it's easy for me to celebrate Claremont's X-Men because I don't I'm not interested in the X-Men before Chris Claremont. <laughs> I've tried to read it, it's not for me. So it's a little different in this case because of who Yerasky is. However, knowing that they're available on Free Comic Book Day, is kind of enticing, because then I'm like, well, I could just get it for free and see if I like it, and then maybe I could be interested in it. Um, I just, They've I,
2: suckered you, boy. They got you it. right in their grasp. I, I give just you a little sus- taste,
1: and now I, you're hooked. I just suspect that the animating force behind these comics is, this is, I mean, this might sound like a criticism, but I don't mean it that way, is not just the world or the characters, it's the mind of, you know Alejandro Yodorowski. It's it, you know what I mean. Like maybe Batman lives on, or or whoever else lives on. But am I really going to be that stoked on a meta bears without Jodorowsky? Well, I don't know. I I, I feel like I, maybe I don't even know that world enough to know that. But then again, by the time we get done reading it for this very podcast, I might actually be like, I don't care who's writing it. I need more meta bears.
2: <laughs> I don't know. It's it's <laughs> entirely because
1: I've done that with other comics. There have been comics where. I, like the writers cycled through and I didn't care because I wanted these characters and I wanted this world that they were in and it didn't matter to me who was behind
0: it, you know? I will just say that in terms of a writer's voice that you are potentially trying to capture as a different writer, right? right? Trying to imitate in some way the feeling that some other writer has created, I can think of... Few larger challenges than trying to recreate the voice of Alejandro Jodorowsky, mm-hmm. um, and so I mean, there's a lot of very talented people involved. I'm very curious about it, and I wish them all the best. Maybe they'll tread entirely new territory, and you know that would be that's what I would be most yeah. interested in, certainly. Well, that's what um, I'm
1: thinking. Like, they're not going to try to recreate his voice, right? Because they're, they're they're well, I
0: mean, one of them is Kill Wolfhead, which is a
1: character, wow, right? That's that we're true. Yeah. familiar with. So I think I'm more interested in someone. Playing in the
0: same world, but not writing the same characters. I think that's fair enough. In Alejandro Jodorowsky's career, he's disowned two of his own films, 1990's The Rainbow Thief, which we'll get to in a few episodes, and the subject of today's episode, 1980's Tusk. Here's a quote from an interview with Jodorowsky for FAD Magazine back in 1996. The interviewer asks, After Dune, you made the film Tusk in India. The film was a bit of a disaster and never got released in America. Alejandro Jodorowsky says, don't see Tusk. I bury that film. In India, they paint an elephant. You see you're an elephant between the legs and scrotum and your balls. I wanted to be sitting on the neck of an elephant in order to know why they were painting it. The the interviewer asks, did you really eat elephant food for four months too? Jodorowsky says, no, but I drank milk of elephant. It's incredible. They brought me milk of mother elephant, and I never had a mother as an elephant. My mother was not similar to an elephant. She was similar to a whale.
2: Damn! (laughs) Snap, Jodorowsky. Fuck!
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's all that has to be said about Tusk. (laughs) No, really what I just want to get at from that quote is that idea that this film was a disaster. Now, what made it a disaster is not entirely clear. Jodorowsky has spoken briefly about it uh, in the uh, 41 years since its release, uh, but has not really gone into great detail about why it was such a troubled production. And even the people involved with it, we'll talk about an interview with one of the cast members in just a little while, they seem confused about the fact that the movie cannot be seen. And when I say it can't be seen, I'm not uh, being uh, outrageous or exaggerating. This is not an easy film to see at all. So just to orient ourselves a bit, Tusk was filmed in the immediate aftermath of the collapse of the Jodorowsky Dune project. Despite his disillusionment, he was able to get $5 million from French investors, though Jodorowsky attests that the budget was cut significantly to make the film Tusk. It was shot in India. Uh, it was taken from Reginald Campbell's novel Poolorn of the Elephants, which we'll talk about in just a moment. The film explores the soulmate relationship between a young British woman living in India and a highly prized elephant. The film exhibited little of the director's outlandish visual style, and was never given a wide release." And when I say it was never given a wide release, that's an understatement. Tusk can be found fairly easily on YouTube, but finding a watchable copy is extremely difficult, and finding a watchable copy in English is even more difficult. For years, you could find reviews in like cult magazines uh, for the movie Tusk, but the version that they were generally reviewing was a French version without subtitles. So they were just kind of trying to interpret the plot the best we best they could. In recent years, a television broadcast in France uh, is, has been made available that ha, is the English version which actually has French subtitles, uh, and that is by far the uh, best looking version currently available. That's the version that we all watched for this episode. Uh, I think it's safe to say that until there's some sort of official release, it's unlikely that we're going to see a better looking version of tusk so before we take our first break i want to ask both of you a few questions about this without giving away your thoughts on the film which might be a little difficult under the circumstances and starting with you liam do you think that this film is rightly disowned by jodorowsky
1: I can't I can't answer that, Doug. Because the the disowning of a film to me mm-hmm. is not about the film being good or bad in and of itself. Sure. It's about whether you feel like and 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 this might not be his measure, but this is what I'm taking it as, that what is available to see is not representative of what you wanted to do because you could have a film that you actually feel like you executed on it the way you wanted to and no one likes it that's a possibility for any director anywhere that actually this is what they wanted it to be but it wasn't what anyone else wanted that's not what we're getting what we're getting is that for whatever various reasons Jorowski feels like this is not the movie he wants it to be, and so therefore disowns it, and if that's how he feels, then that's his feeling as an artist. Do I think the movie is so bad that all of his fan base should disown it? Mm, I I could say no to that. I think this is... Not a waste of time to watch, but if someone was interested in it who is not a completist, the way that we are becoming on this podcast, I might say
0: eh, it might not be worth the effort to find it. Oh boy, I feel like a little bit of your opinion on the film is uh, is bleeding through yeah. there, Liam. Yeah. <laughs> Julia, over to you. Jodorowsky obviously has very strong negative feelings about this film. Do you think it's rightly disowned by him?
2: Well, I guess you know what Liam is saying about. Being a, you know, I, I'm a filmmaker, too. And I was just thinking while you're talking, OK, like, hey, what if, you know, I may, I may, I'm editing. I know you need my Stephen King project right mm-hmm. now. So I'm like, what if I had to release a version that was not not done yet? Like to me was not finished. I would feel angry and like disappointed about it. I can see how I would not want to watch that movie again. If you and, and I, I, you know, I always assume from this. I mean, I don't know exactly what happened here, but mm-hmm. I'm assuming he didn't have the, the things he needed to make the movie he wanted, and perhaps people were putting their hands in the pie that shouldn't have. So it, so it sounds like it's probably not his fault, and that's probably why he's angry, is that somebody probably took it out of his hands would be my guess.
0: When watching it, it's hard to tell how the compromise nature of it really comes through because the story it's telling is, again, as we've already said, Is a lot more straightforward than jodorowsky's previous films and there are elements kind of strange odd i would call them jodorowskian elements in this film and we'll talk about those when we get to the movie proper but it certainly isn't and this this is a bit of a loaded word it's not as weird as i thought it was going to be i mean there's weird stuff about it don't get me wrong but it doesn't feel like this story through the eyes of jodorowsky and that maybe that goes back to what you were saying someone there's some influence on this that that made it feel like it wasn't from the mind of Alejandro Jodorowsky, and he seemed to feel that. But whether that was the case or not, I guess we just can't really know. Uh, There's a quote from Jodorowsky from an interview that he did with IndieWire back in 2014. The interviewer asked, one of your older films that has been incredibly hard to track down is Tusk. Is that something that is going to come out at some point? And Jodorowsky says, With Tusk, I am searching for the negatives, because at the time, we never finished the picture. And now I want to redo the color, and it could be a fantastic tale for children. It's beautiful. We are searching because the producer died, and we are wondering where the negative is. That that way of putting it, that he never finished the picture, now that's very interesting to me. And also, there seems to be a suggestion from his words that the movie that he meant to make is still there in the footage, if he could get it again. Uh, going back over to you again, Liam. Do you think a better film might be hiding inside the materials that were filmed for this movie? I don't know.
1: I. I mean, I think it's hard for me to answer that without getting into my opinions about the movie. But I. But, Fair enough. But I. But I suspect it's possible if. If what it turns out is not that, so what what I don't know is the details of what made this film not work out. Sure. It's, It's entirely possible that there was a timeline on the editing process and not a timeline on the filming process, right? So like, he might have a ton of footage on the negatives that he didn't really get to work with. But if what is in the movie now represents a majority of what was shot, I don't know. Now, granted, I'm not a, genius, which is how I feel about Jodorowsky. So maybe he knows something I don't. But based on what I saw, I don't know how you could re-edit it into something else, per se. Like, I I don't see that. But I also don't have his mind. And I don't know what it is he's going to find in those negatives. I do know that, like, you know, this version we saw, there's got to be something at least more there's like almost no movie to what we saw in a visual sense. Like it's so blown out and it's so rough looking that it's hard to know what that original would look like. I, I bet if we saw a restored, you know, print from a negative, it might still look stunning because that's who Uderzki is as a director. But it's, you know, I didn't see that. What I saw was fuzzy images, like I was watching Kung Fu Theater in the in the <laughs> '80s on you know UHF.
0: There is a suggestion, I think, even in the version that we watched, there's a lot of lush, you know, epic visuals, and certainly a lot of very um, accomplished camera work on display. But I would like to see at the very least, even if it's just this version of the movie, a version that has been preserved in a an appropriate way. So at least we can make a true kind of Uh, judgment might be not the right word, but certainly have an opinion on it that's based on a version that that is at least worthy of the, the man himself. Julia, do you have any thoughts in regards to this? Do you think that there's a better version of Tusk that might be hiding within those materials that Alejandro Jodorowsky wants to return to?
2: First of all, how it makes me feel, my heart hurts so bad to think of him as a filmmaker and to say, this negative there and I can't get to them. Isn't this that The film uh, yeah, that I absolutely. want to make is there, and I don't know where. Like, that's heartbreaking to me, this poor, poor Jodorowsky. I, yeah, I definitely do. I think I think it'll be, I think. I mean, I think, would it be still, an, like, is it holy mountain worthy? No, no, it's not. But is could you make it a better film than what it is now? A hundred percent. Of course you could. And I think... You know, I mentioned earlier that Orson Welles filmed uh, Other Side of the Wind, which just came out, which they, you know, they had the footage and and, uh, ultimately cut it. And it was, there's a, there's a fear in that because I'm like, you can't do that to Orson Welles. But then the other one is like, oh, this is him. So interesting to see it modern and cut in a way that was still feeling very period. So it would be interesting to me, you know, will he, would Jodorowsky, if he could edit it now, cut it as he would have in 1980 or cut it as he is in 2022?
0: because mm, I feel like they would be really different question. yeah and, and that's actually a funny parallel to the Orson Welles parallel to Jodorowsky because I was just thinking also I mean this isn't I mean this and The Rainbow Thief are two films that he has disowned that he has directed but also El Topo and The Holy Mountain were not available on the home format for a really long time this is a director that could never have gotten the uh, attention that he has rightly deserved over the past decade 15 years 20 years or so because his work just wasn't available in any form that people could see for so such a long time maybe we're just we just need to be patient and tusk will soon be as beloved as those other films i guess we can uh, wait and see i just i just hope that those uh, that that footage those negatives are found and at least jodorowsky can give it some look while he's still with us and has a creative mind and the ability to do so. Uh, Before we finish up, before we um, head to our first break, I actually wanna talk to you, Julia, because as we've already said, uh, the film Tusk is based on the 1935 novel Pooh Lorne of the Elephants by Reginald Campbell. Reginald Campbell was a British writer and former naval officer in World War I, uh, then an assistant forest manager in Siam in the 1920s. And uh, he actually had another film, Tiger Valley, filmed in 1936, but maybe not a very well-known figure. Uh, These books, I think, were meant to appeal to children for the most part, adventurish. But I, I can only say that by having read a little bit of this one. Julia, you read the entire novel. Again, we're going to get into the details of the movie itself. How did the two things compare?
2: See, who's the most dedicated on this podcast, gentlemen? Who read the entire novel? This girl, can I just point that out? <laughs> ding ding ding. Uh the, it, the you know, it's a book that I I don't particularly find the subject matter very interesting. You sure. have, you know, and and the main thing is the location change cuz in the book they're in Thailand mm-hmm. and in the movie they're in India and I was like, I don't okay, kind of weird. So, you know, it is a very straightforward novel and he did follow it more or less, you know, it, the the location change changes stuff but more or less the same, but it's just that kind of, it's like kind of like a poor man's, right? Kipling. Sure. Absolutely. Like, like, like not like a weird Kipling. If you took away the humor mm. and just, it was just the like India colonizational stuff and like very uh, intricate things about how you train elephants, because apparently Reginald Campbell was an elephant nerd and yes. was like, I got to read, I got to write this book about elephants. You can kind of see that in there, which is kind of adorable, but uh, it's an odd really fucking odd choice cuz i was like i can't see anything in this novel that would make me as jodorowsky be like this one this is what i want to do i can't see it in there and well, it's not we, a kids book at all
0: we we learned in jodorowsky's dune how he picks subject material <laughs> sorry subject matter for uh, ad- adapting sometimes he just picks a book off the shelf it's like this will be my next project maybe he did that with this one as well but it does seem like an odd choice for subject matter i have to say i mean with only with the knowledge that we have of jodorowsky but there are interesting elements certainly the uh, colonialism is probably the one that we're going to focus the most on when we talk about the movie proper but the only thing i want to ask you before we take our break the weirdness that is in this movie is any of that weirdness in the book no no Good. Mm-hmm. I'm actually kind of happy about that. That means that, <laughs> that means we, we, there are elements of the brain of Jodorowsky in this movie, and we're gonna talk about all of them. Let's take a break. When we return, it's time to talk about the lost Jodorowsky film, Tusk, from 1980. There's only
1: one thing I want out of this kid. I want that famous male elephant of yours. What's his name now again? Tusk. Yeah, that's it. I want him. I want a necklace out of his tusks.
0: You'll have tusk. <sighs> All right. You will have tusk, your highness.
1: Good. Let's leave tomorrow.
0: Huh? <laughs> well, Mister Cairns, have you ever eaten cotton candy? What? Oh, of
2: course. Well. <laughs> This is the real thing, straight
1: from Coney Island.
0: I found a way to preserve it, in spite of the heat. (laughs) An English girl and an Indian elephant born on the same day share a common destiny. It's 1980s Tusk, directed by Alejandro Jodorowsky. I don't think you need an introduction to him at this point. Uh, Based on the novel, as we already mentioned, by Reginald Campbell, and written by Nicholas Nisifor, uh, the director of 1978's Death Sport, uh, the, uh, the film with David Carradine, and a writer of mostly German TV and films. Alejandro Jodorowski also had a uh, hand on the script, as did Jeffrey O'Kelly, who had a very odd career. He was the creator of the cartoon Dr. Snuggles, uh, which used to run on Nickelodeon <laughs> in the 1980s, featuring the voice of Peter Usanoff, with his only other writing credit being for the erotic film The Story of O2. In 1984. Epic. Car- <laughs> yeah, isn't it incredible? <laughs> a multifaceted gentleman, I should say. Uh, main characters of this film are Elise, played by uh, Cyrielle Claire, the French actress, uh, w- very well known, but uh, and it also appeared in some uh, English uh, language films as well. Uh, John Morrison, played by Ant- Anton Differing, most well known for playing Nazis in a lot of movies. And Richard Cairn. <laughs> That's
2: what you wanted to be, right? When you're like, think of me, think of Nazis. That's us, you know.
0: Everyone has to have a specialty, I suppose. And Richard Cairn, played by. Christopher Mitchum, uh, the son of Robert Mitchum, uh, obviously had a very long film career and political career as well. Now, my co-hosts, normally I would start our discussion on any film covered on this podcast by asking asking each of you your general thoughts on it. However, I want to start with a slightly different question. Tusk has a toxic reputation, even among not even just among Jodorowski. If you look up on Letterboxd, if you look up some of the few reviews of it, critics hate it, Jodorowsky hates it. Um, it's it, it's rare to see anyone praise even any small part about it. So I'm going to start with you, Liam. Is Tusk as bad as its reputation?
1: No, I don't think so. Um, but I don't think it's very good either. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's really... I found myself... I didn't read any... Other than knowing he disowned it. I didn't read anyone else's thoughts about it till after I finished it. And I finished sure. it and thought, okay, uh, I in my opinion, it's way less interesting than anything else that I've seen from him. Um, It doesn't have a lot that I find super compelling, though. I I think you're probably right. If, if we could get a real copy of it, it would look pretty good. But in the version that we're seeing, I'm, I'm not as impressed by that aspect. I'm really just thinking about the story story is not that interesting to me. Um, And Though there are some very strange moments that are very uh yodorowsky it's it certainly lacks for me the edge of a lot of what he is doing, and by that, I don't just mean the extremity of like violence and blood, but also I didn't find any of the ideas in it, particularly. Challenging or interesting, I I I I I wasn't that engaged by it. So then I went to the reviews, being like, "Well, somebody has to love this, and I want to know why they love it." And though there are on Letterboxd a number of French reviews that give this thing five stars. <laughs> um all of the English reviews that I found at first, I didn't search the entire website, sure, that course. I found on Letterboxd were all intensely negative, like half-star reviews saying, like, well, every genius makes a horrible mistake, and this is yodorowsky's horrible mistake, and I thought... Well, I'm not scandalized by the movie. I don't know why we're so angry at our man. I mean, this is this is Alejandro Jodorowsky, right? Like, I, I I don't know why our love for him wouldn't overwhelm whatever disappointment we felt that this movie isn't a you know isn't the Holy Mountain. Um, but but I don't know. I I am very curious. Uh, uh, uh what the people who do love this movie love about it, because I'm, I'm mm-hmm. as confused by that. I I just felt very middle of the road about it. It didn't make me upset, but I didn't find a lot
0: that I was passionate about. It certainly helps to have a little bit of context going in, right? I mean, sure. If you were just given this as, hey, this is the film that he followed up the Holy Mountain with, I can see how maybe the reviews would be intensely negative. Over to you, Julia. Is Tusk as bad as its reputation? Uh,
2: No, but it is disappointing in a way because I think when you have a director that you love, let's uh, let's say Tim Burton. I love Tim Burton, right? But I love you give me a Beetlejuice, you give me an Edward Scissorhands where it's Tim Burton through and through. Mm -hmm. And then when he starts to get a little bit more corporate and then like it doesn't feel like Tim Burton anymore. And they're like, well, I don't want to see a movie that anybody could have made. Like the whole point is I want you. And so when it doesn't feel fully Joe Dorowski, then I'm like, oh well, I feel disappointed because I can feel you wanting to come through and being restrained. And I feel that's kind of painful. Um, I had a thought, and bear with me me here. So in in the book, a lot of the book is from Pooh-Lauren's point of view – kind of like they follow him and really think like why he's doing the thing he's doing. Right. So it gives him a lot more empathy. Cause you're like, Oh, I understand why he's being angry at this point and how he feels. And it's kind of cool. And I wonder if that might've been an element that could have been added to this movie that would make it really different. Um, Cause I picture Jodorowsky doing the narrative because he needs to get himself into the movie somehow. Sure. And just giving the voice of the elephant an idea, like make it a character in the film, which would make mm. it much more his, him, I guess. I just need more Jodorowsky in this movie is, is the issue.
0: The other thing is, of course, that there literally isn't Jodorowsky in this movie. He doesn't act in this movie, I know, which is... what the fuck? <laughs> I feel
2: yeah, so yeah. angry. If we had Jodorowsky as the inner monologue of this elephant, I'm sold. It would change it completely.
0: I think we need to go into a little bit of detail regarding the plot of the movie, just a little bit, because the fact is, it isn't hard to summarize it. Uh, the movie starts with the birth of the elephant and the birth of Elise, Happening simultaneously, we're led to believe that she has some sort of almost psychic connection with this elephant. She loves it very much, but she also loves India and loves the Indian people in a way that her father, who is a colonizer, he's a hunter, he deals in elephants. This is the early 1900s, and you know he he staffed with people who are basically his slaves, and um they have both both her father and daughter have a very different perspective on uh, both the people of India and also. Elephants and one is supposed to be the stand-in for the other in the case of this movie I think it's pretty clear to say Elise goes off to school when she returns uh, her father's made uh, a friendship with Richard Cairn who's also an elephant merchant and He has I mean he develops feelings for Elise blah 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 that that's not as interesting as (laughs) the elephant tusk He cannot be contained uh, he has to be let free. She loves Tusk very much. He rampages a little bit. They try to um, to capture him again and again, and she's trying to let him go free. Um, and then it ends with a bit of a rampage. There's also two bumbling morons, uh, who are kind of the both the comic relief and the villains of the piece, and they get theirs at the end. That is pretty much the entirety of Tusk. It is not a lot of detail in what I'm telling you, but that is the broad strokes of this movie. With that now said, staying with you, Julia. Any general thoughts on this? Now, starting from the point of, I just asked you whether this is as bad as its reputation. You said no. Is this a good film? What do you think about it?
2: It just feels unfinished. That's, you know, that's the issues, you can't really judge it completely, because you go, okay, there's so many different things you could do with this to alter it. If it's half edited, then how can you say what its potential is? And I think there's a bit of sadness in seeing that it does have potential that isn't there. Uh, so I think uh, I definitely if you if wanted to reedit it, I would I would definitely watch it again. But I feel that this, I don't feel any connection to this subject material, really it just Mm -hmm. feels you know and it's a lot of you know because it's Jodorowski, I was living in fear this entire fucking movie that he was going to like really fucking elephant up um, because I've seen Santa Sangre I know how he already goes and I was like oh no so I mean and there is them being tied up and them being chained and them being whipped and those are not fun things to watch uh, but there are a lot of like reverent elephant and I feel like he wanted to show the majesty of the beast which I, I is okay but I just it just doesn't I don't I don't get why this. I don't understand it. It seems so
0: so off of left field. A lot of reviews mention that, especially the second half of this movie, almost turns into almost like a National Geographic special. There's just so much footage of elephants just kind of wandering. And And that's why they needed the
2: voiceover. If they have the voiceover, this movie is different. I'm telling you, man. Because if you get the elephant's point of view, it changes everything.
0: Maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, I do... I find something very majestic about elephants and I do really find them incredible to watch. Uh, but I think this movie presupposes that you will find that a lot more interesting than maybe a general audience would back over to you, Liam, your general thoughts on Tusk. Is this a good movie?
1: No, it's, no. it's, I, <clears throat> this is the sort of movie that I don't even know if I could make it through at a marathon. If it came on. Interesting. Um, uh, now granted, uh, a lot of that could be changed. Like, the, the, there's a lot of footage, as we said, of elephants and of the sort of countryside. Maybe a beautiful print of this thing, and I'm in love with the elephants and their majesty and whatever. But <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm I'm with you guys though. These are giant animals that are really fucking smart and like do things that we don't understand like 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 they have graveyards they remember specific like like elephants and humans that are do good things for them that that one guy who was a defender of elephants there's a herd of elephants that still goes to his house he's been dead for 10 years right. and every year they go to his house on the anniversary of his death and then go back home okay that's fucking crazy elephants are crazy like i get the the idea of it but like i've seen the protector right like i've seen other yeah. elephant movies <laughs> and so like you know what i mean like it's it's i think maybe maybe at the time there wasn't as much footage i mean there there might be a, a literal thing here of like he's getting some footage that maybe people wouldn't have gotten or something that that maybe i don't understand but on a pure narrative level there's not much here, and and I would be okay with it. I, I, I do wonder if there's something going on. Julia, you've kind of opened my mind a little bit by revealing that the book is set in Thailand, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because this movie is about India, right? Like, there are, like, <clears throat> for me at least as a viewer, and maybe you guys weren't feeling this, the idea that this is a British family, right? Mm-hmm in India, and that the way they're relating to the elephant is becoming like the relationship with the people, sure. and that the way that Elise relates to the elephant is not that different than the way she's shown to relate to the people around her, which is with a kind of respect and humanity that other people can't muster, right? Right. And that even the Chris Mitchum character, whose name I already forgot. Richard uh, Cairns. Richard Cairns. <laughs> Cares. He's he seems more human than the other British people, but he he can't let go of the hunt, right? He's right. he's this complicated character where like he could maybe be a human the way that Elise is, <laughs> but he's like, But hunting is pretty fucking sick. So if if I could somehow respect India, but still fuck up an elephant. That would be the perfect situation. And then at the end he's like, you're right. I can't respect India and not f- and fuck up an elephant. So I'm gonna not fuck up an elephant. And so in other words, I just think there's a lot under the surface here. But unlike other Jodorowski films, it doesn't feel well thought out and there's not much to hold on to with it. it there's not the same like uh Abstract representation of ideas, it just feels like he clearly is thinking about the location and how what it means to be in a colonial state, but it but the plot itself sort of doesn't need or it, it doesn't animate the film in
2: the same way,
1: and then of course, like I don't feel like these are real characters in any real way at all. Yeah, I don't
2: feel really anything for anything like no. I want to be on Elise's side, and i don't really I don't really care, but it, again, like you're taking it from the source material that's not very. Lifelike, it gets sure. a very yeah. kind of dry book, so it doesn't. There isn't a lot of motion going on in that book either. So, I don't know if you're just trying to do like a straight adaptation from the book for that. I guess it's a pretty good, I guess. I,
0: I, I promise you, I'm not one of those people that just feels like every movie should be shorter these days, but this movie does feel very so much it's two hours. It just feels like I mean, I, I just feel that this is a 90 minute movie. And maybe it was meant to be, though Though you usually when it's taken out of your hands, they don't make it longer. They make it shorter. Um, there's just a lot of material in this that doesn't seem to have a specific purpose. And I think that that is something yeah. that both of you have been getting at to, to one extent or I, another.
1: I will say my favorite, other than just elephants, are generally pretty cool. My favorite part, though, is the two idiots that you made reference to. Really? really? Interesting. It
0: drove me bananas. I, I will say they were the goddamn worst. Than, that said, them being introduced, just kind of farting and being idiots. I, I'll admit that at least I was getting some sort of amusement out of that. No, brief mean, time. The, they the, the the only... like,
2: they're, they're the most Jodorowsky part of the movie. Certainly so. The, and the <laughs>
0: only
1: reason I found them amusing is that it was a reminder because to me they the the representation of colonialism where colonialism is literally like uh, a few detached. Uh, well-intentioned but not morally complete, rich rich but not fully rich people, and then they're like inhuman monster helpers who are just there right. to cause pain and enjoy it, that's actually, that's not a caricature. That's actually what colonialism is. It, it, like I was watching it going, oh, we went with realism here. That, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting something much more abstract uh, because t- th- it was the one part where I was like, yeah, yeah, this is what it was. It was like some rich guy who's like like the the moment when he's like I don't I don't really I don't I think what you're doing is wrong but I love you anyway and I'm like you mean treating the locals, like they're human beings. You think she's wrong. You think she's, oh, right. No, that makes sense. You would think she's
0: wrong. Right, 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 right. It's, it's the relationship relationship between father and daughter in this movie has nothing. There's nothing there. No, no.
1: And and that whole moment too is like, you're right. She's how scandalous of her to, to, to interact with the country that she lives in, you know, how, how horrifying. And, And I, so I think all of that was like intentional, you know, to a certain extent, but it doesn't, animate the movie and i'll go back and say that aspect i liked about these characters when it comes to like what they're doing it's so annoying because i i think it's trying to play off of something that we've appreciated about uh which is his way of working in um mime-clowning, sure. vaudevillian, mm-hmm. performative whatever into his movies in ways that are actually really smart. And this is the one place so far where we've seen it, and I'm like, none of this fucking works. Like, it's not mm-hmm. funny. It doesn't It doesn't add any sort of mystery. There's no, like, revelation of something that you can only find out through the humor. It really just feels, like, cheap and maybe a little mean, but I, that's okay. I'm not really defensive of
0: British people, so... I, I did like that one of the real baddies had a monkey and they called it Peter Laurie. <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> I wrote thing. that down in my notes. Like, go, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. That so good. It's a little detail. And there are a few little details spread all throughout this movie that I like. And I will say, I think the first half hour is legitimately good. I think there's a lot of really great material in it, great filmmaking. The the elephants are still very impressive at that point because you see them in these wide shots with the people uh, uh, um, riding them and caring for them. And the whole sequence with the two births, I think is very, very well done. And just the kind of the, the development of the idea, it's just it just falls apart so completely in the second half that I felt myself getting bored. And I don't think I've ever felt bored in any of the stuff that we've covered on this show so far. And I think it's a real kind of condemnation of, of how... Unengaging the plot becomes at that point. Moving what about on. we
2: haven't talked about? I'm sorry. Can we talk about yes, the uh, the little comic interstitials though? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, I, I thought I lim- that was
0: fabulous. Let me tie that into this next question then, I... which is that this film begins by saying that it's a panic fable. Uh, which is something we've heard before, uh, it suggests that there's a direct connection between this film, or at least something regarding the subject uh, matter, and the panic movement of theater that we've talked about with that Jodorowsky helped originate, as well as his Panic Fable comics that he wrote and drew between 1967 and 1973. You're right. There's interstitials that kind of connect scenes that are almost comic-like. There's a suggestion that this is supposed to be... I don't know if, if, if it's tied to the feel of a comic book or the material of a comic book, I do think that the fact that these characters aren't very well drawn, that they're very kind of cartoonish, I guess might be the word to use, is intentional. And that is meant to be a play, like those interstitials are meant to be a reference to the fact that we're not supposed to be expecting a lot of depth out of these characters because it's meant to be more fable-like. What about this is like a comic to you, Julia? Why do you think that they would have used those interstitials in this case?
2: I think to make it feel more like a children's film if that's Mm. really the aim he's going for which I think is a dubious claim but I feel like if we're going on this journey for it to be a kids movie I think a little animation never hurt anybody and you know maybe those are just temps that they were actually going to be little animated sequences Mm. behind them like we don't really know but I feel like they're if you're doing it from like uh a pantomime kind of place where these are yes stock characters you're supposed to understand he's the bad guy he's the love interest like they're not fleshed out humans in a way then i suppose that this is okay as a kid's movie because if you're watching it from a kid's point of view you don't need that you don't need that depth between the 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 humans i guess and you probably are most interested in the elephants to be honest if you're a kid
0: absolutely in fact you mentioned Rudyard kipling before that word fable in Panic Fable, mm-hmm. I think might be an important one as well. That you know, this is meant to be, and this is clearly meant to be viewed as a metaphor. You know, it, it's not hidden; it's something that's very on its surface. And again, some of the criticism that I read about this film is that it's too blunt in what it's supposed to represent, and maybe um, and and that there's no <laughs> that you, that anyone would be able to see it. But if you're making a film for kids, you want to make it rather blunt in terms of the messages that you're sending out. But I'm going to stick with you for a second, Julia. Could a kid enjoy this movie?
2: Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, you think about Disney did all of those in the seven, like sixties and seventies, all of those nature movies that were mm-hmm. just and it was literally just voiceover and, and animals walking around. Kids love that, right? And I loved animals. As, I mean, I love animals. So as a kid, especially, I think yeah, I think. But I think it's hard because we're looking at it from an adult standpoint, where I we're kind of judging the adult bits. Right? But if you're looking at, okay, we're judging the kid bits, which are mainly the elephant bits, I think probably probably way more exciting if you're looking at it from that standpoint, which I really hadn't. Uh,
0: Liam, I want to get both your thoughts on both parts of that, but I actually want to start with that idea. Do you think children could enjoy Tusk, at least in this form? I mean, I'm
1: flabbergasted at the things that kids enjoy, including my mm-hmm. own daughter. But I do know that uh, if I tried to show this to my daughter... It would not fly. Um, maybe when she was older, but mm-hmm. I know that kid me also
0: would not be stoked on this. There's also um, like
2: a, I'm, a dead mom within like the first five minutes. That's pretty. Yeah. And there's thought. also, right. I
0: mean, there's some, like there's an elephant that falls off a cliff at some point and a person that falls as well. And there's some, there's some. You stuff know what that... have,
1: you know what have gotten me as a kid? What's a, like? a classic Jodorowsky element: the wife of the uh, Raja. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That her, she, she does the he does the voice thing where she has this deeper voice. Yes, uh, that would have messed me up as a kid. <laughs> I really? just would have been like, "What's going on? Why does she sound like that?" And especially since no one acknowledges it, like to me now as a viewer, I'm like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." But like as a kid, I would have been like, "What's going on?
2: Why did that happen?" <laughs> So elephants can... being gored to death doesn't bother you, but woman with a man's voice <laughs> yeah
1: yeah pretty much okay all right <laughs> interesting I'm telling, I was a weird kid man I was used to the the violence of i mean I guess I guess um I would have been freaked out too by the less by the the some of the more violent like like larger violent stuff but we we i think we I don't think we mentioned it on the show. There is a part where that same character drinks elephant blood, supposedly. Yes. Mm-hmm. That would have freaked me out as well. Cause there's just not just the cutting, which is gross, uh, though I, I hopefully is not real. Uh but uh but the idea that she was gonna drink it just would have messed me up as a kid. Like that's just uh would have been so upsetting. Whereas to me now it's kinda like, Oh, that's surprisingly tame for this for for for, for the you
0: know, the director, but okay how about the connection with the the idea of a panic fable and comics and the comic interstitials any any thoughts in regards to that i, I don't know. I was less enchanted by those than I think you guys were. I just, I, I, I don't... I'll be honest. It did remind me a little bit of the director's cut of the Warriors, which is not something I like thinking about.
2: <laughs> oh, but I actually thought it was kind of the most interesting, one of the most interesting parts of the movie. Like I thought it was such an interesting way to go from page to page. Like I, th- I thought it was
0: interesting, but I did have trouble understanding what the point of it was, simply because this is as far away from a comic book feeling. But then again, the kind of comic books that Joe makes are not the kind of comic books I grew up with.
2: True.
1: I uh yeah, I just I didn't feel anything particularly. I didn't find it particularly interesting or uh confusing. Uh honestly, it just felt like a like a stylistic choice. I I didn't really even think that there was a thematic element to it. I just was like, okay, that's a way to transition, I guess. Like it it didn't it, I didn't really think about it much. Um I was more trying to figure out a lot of the movie, I was spent for me being like, "Is there a, a a another level to this? Is there something underneath, or is it more on the surface?" Because mm-hmm. even though he says it's for children, I'm like, "Yeah, but you'd work something else into a book. If this was a book for kids, you'd still have something going on." You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I just, I, I had this suspicion that maybe there was something more to what was happening and while i didn't think i could figure that out like in an obvious way i thought I'll, I'll pick something up here and there and i didn't feel that that was and so and that didn't come true so that's what i was thinking about the whole movie is like <laughs> wow i just feel like there's nothing here and then i'm like well maybe the narrative will be fun and compelling and then it that wasn't the case either
0: one of the um pieces of information I found about this film came in the form of an interview with Chris Mitchum. This is actually from a DVD for a Just Franco movie, but the director of that piece, that interview, asked him about a number of his movies, including Tusk. And it's very interesting, simply because there hasn't been a lot of discussion about the making of this movie. There's not a lot of detail out there. This interview, not only does he pronounce Jodorowsky's name in a totally bizarre fashion. on a film called Tusk, which Alexandro Jodorowsky um and, and with the knowledge that, that Alejandro was going by Alexandro back then, but even Jodorowski, I'm not sure what he's trying to do there. Of course, who am I to judge someone's pronunciation of that at this point? But In this interview, he talks about both his frustration and admiration of Jodorowsky as a filmmaker. He said that he learned more from watching Jodorowsky make this film than from any other director in his career, that he was in awe of the amount of detail that he put into the the background of scenes. He said that every single thing that you saw in a scene represented something, and Jodorowsky could say what what each was, but he also talks about the filming. Of a sequence involving animal, uh, the sorry, the elephants going through the water, which was incredibly dangerous, and that they almost all died because they hadn't checked the depth of the water that they were going through. And I'm not sure if that actually ends up in the final version in any way. I guess it's it's meant to take place during the. Um, the search for Tusk near the end where where they're all kind of riding the elephants together but uh it, it's a really interesting kind of look at where jodorowsky was as a filmmaker in 1990 going back you know to like fondo and lease where he just didn't know how to make a movie and he was doing a lot of these wild things at this point he is a experienced filmmaker and you can see that on the in the complexity of the camera movements in this movie The question I wanna ask uh, both of you, starting with you, Julia, what are your thoughts on Jodorowsky as a filmmaker at this point in his career? Um, Were you impressed by at least the filmmaking on display, if not how he handled a lot of the subject uh, material? And, and, And just going back, since we talked about it recently on an episode, One of the things that I had hesitancy about in some of of, uh, our talks on Dune was whether Jodorowsky was an accomplished enough director to make that movie. This movie kind of reinforced to me that at the very least that he had the skills to make a kind of of, um, epic style movie. Uh, Starting with you, Julia, your thoughts on Jodorowsky as a filmmaker in Tusk.
2: You know, it's funny because it's hard for me to parse that the man who made Holy Mountain also made this movie. It feels really different, right? But then I think about, like, Wes Craven made, you know, Last House on the Left, Nightmare on Elm Street scream and but he also made deadly blessing and like deadly friend and those movies are terrible Mm -hmm. so it's really hard to say because great filmmakers i don't understand how that works to me i'm like oh if you're a genius just be a genius all the time but that's not really (laughs) how it works um (laughs) so you know for me i think the man who made holy mountain could he have made dune fuck yeah but then i look at this and i'm like well what happened here because this is not that at all and so I don't know if it's just his frustration coming through I feel like there isn't anything there's really beautiful shots in the film and you know everything's very well staged and it's lovely but there isn't anything that wows me about it. But you know, the thing is, is a lot of Jodorowsky's movies, the emphasis is on editing. Sure. Because you think of all the crazy shots in Holy Mountain. Absolutely. And if this wasn't edited by him, maybe that's the problem. Maybe it really is just an editing problem where you can make a whole different movie that's going to work.
0: It's hard to imagine that level of detail that Christopher Mitchum was talking about, though, in the backgrounds. You know, you think about the set design of the Holy Mountain in particular, but even going back to El Topo, those those incredible kind of um, shots that have a lot of visual depth to them and a lot of color and all this visual interest going on. A lot of this movie, I'm not saying that it isn't beautiful, but it's beautiful in the way that the scenery is beautiful. And it, the idea of putting a lot of meaningful symbology in the background, it's a little hard to imagine... Even in a very beautiful print of this movie, that that would necessarily come through. Any thoughts on that, Liam, about the the uh, the directing skill of Jodorowsky?
1: I completely buy that. Now that I know how, mo- I think there's more to this movie that is Jodorowsky that I'm realizing. So, like when mm. you switch switching from Th- from Thailand to India is a much larger deal. Uh, it's, I mean, the the the. the the i'm trying to think of how to say this the sure. setting is changed the context of the setting where it's going to be like i'm sure that the way that all these different um locations were designed he had more of an influence on and when you think about like i don't know how much do you guys know about hunting elephants right i personally don't know a dang thing <laughs> so when he's got these giant pens that the elephants are going through I'm just like, yeah, that makes sense. But I don't know if any of that's real. That might not be how you hunt elephants at all. He might have made up that whole
2: goddamn thing. <laughs> sure, and- right, right. <laughs> uh, actually, in the book they talk about Oh, at and is it is it, it like he does it in the movie? Just so you know. Like that 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 like uh, some of it, yeah, and the, like the pit thing they talk about, and like the whole mm. bit, like they really cause this what, is this what is about the what about fellows. the like uh, really gonna Coliseum tell you how to of things.
1: Bamboo or whatever it is that they have when that that Tusk ends up knocking down for his freedom. Yeah, that part was yeah.
2: His rampages are yeah, the best, yeah, man. Yeah. I go, t- go, go, tusco <laughs> rampage the fuck. There's a lot right. of him actually rampaging and disrupting right. the transportation right. system, right? Where huh. he's right, where he's knocking over right. trains. He's not going to like they can't go through there because right. he's a monster and he's going to knock it down. So he's really like disrupting the country, which is great. It's like this total anarchy. When he's anarchy. disrupting,
0: when he's disrupting the trains in the book, is there a priest?
2: No, <laughs> yelling at him. <laughs> no, there's not. No, the, the comic with, relief with, priest. With, you know.
0: with a bunch of
1: nuns and it's a whole like again. That's that's uh, there are so many elves in here that i wonder about the the the, the of them but it's almost like uh it's almost like uh you know he, hearing a song that has a guitar player on it that you really like and you hear all the notes that are like his thing and you're like oh, i see you there but then it doesn't work in the song because the song is actually like a country song and right. you're like what's going on with this song why are there all these weird guitar parts on it that's you know in this mo- movie there are these weird jodorowsky elements but they don't feel like they add to whatever's going on in the movie they don't amount to much which is like the op- like the smallest decisions on holy mountain amount to the biggest things in the world just sure. unbelievable stuff where you're like wow like that little element Affects the movie so much, and there are things here where I'm um, like, "That's cool that he did that." I don't know what that has to do with what the movie is. I don't. I don't know. And so, like, I, I guess that's part of my confusion about it. But back to what you're saying, Doug. I. I don't know. I. I was. Yes, there's a lot here that shows a larger scope and more of a narrative. Like there is more of a narrative here than maybe some people associate with with him as a filmmaker. But for me, um, I just was so. Uh, I was so not engaged by this right. that I wasn't watching this movie thinking, man, Dune would have been sick. I was <laughs> watching this being like, well, honestly, and 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 in the end, I, I'm being a little unfair because what I really was thinking is there's no way for me to use this movie as a way to understand Yowarowski as an artist because I don't know the details of what... Kept him from making the movie he wanted to make. Right. So uh, I would I am perfectly willing to say it might be that there were less barriers than we assume, and that the movie just didn't work. That's possible, you know. Like, like, like Julia said, "Deadly Blessing" is not Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> though, though, I will say I I'm one of the few people who loves the ending of Deadly Blessing. But, but, uh, Goodness, man, I love it. I l- fucking love it. Okay, no, um, no, no, it's not but, okay. <laughs> but. Uh, But so that does happen. So it could entirely be possible. He partly disowns it because it just didn't turn out the way he wanted it to be. But the vibe I get when he talks about it, though he is Yodorowsky, so whatever, is that there were (laughs) other forces at play, that it wasn't that he didn't do what he wanted to do, but that there were barriers or limitations or whatever it was. So part of me is kind of like, well, I don't know. People get fucked, you know, and especially a guy who just made, you know, a multi million dollar book and not a movie right? A guy who just came off a project that didn't work out. Of course, you know, there there there's going to be ways that that, uh, maybe they didn't believe in his vision, or they wanted him to change it in certain ways, or, again, we don't know the level of meddling. So part of me is kind of like, I don't know what this says about him. It just says that this is an opportunity that didn't work out. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Actually, your example that you used a little while ago about the kind of discordant music, right? Like the, the music that doesn't fit together, that actually is almost literally... Applied to this, because the soundtrack right, to this movie yes. is very strange as well. Does you know,
2: not it's, fit this movie at all. It, it,
0: I think it's incredible. I love I the do music. I too, but, but it it not, does not for
2: this time period.
0: <laughs> what are they doing, man? Not it's for like... the time period, not for the, the the setting, not for... It just feels so at odds with the movie, but maybe maybe it gives us a little bit of a clue to the type of movie he really wanted to make, um, because it, it seems it does feel Jodorowsky in the sense that it's so strange and it's so um specific and it has this kind of weird progressive rock feel to it at times and very synthy as well a, a really interesting soundtrack but one that feels like it's it's fighting against the, the the movie that it's that it's scoring
2: i mean if you're doing it in like You know, a modern, we're going to do a Night's Tale kind of thing. We're like, oh, but we're playing modern music, a Moulin Rouge kind of deal. Like, okay, that's one thing. But I don't I don't know if that's what this is. I don't know if he was just not interested in doing period music. And if you don't want to, it's fine. But I felt I just felt it kind of taking me out and rather than elevating the movie, I suppose.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, I listened to it on CD, but I wouldn't necessarily want to have it in, in the context of this version of Tusk at the very least. Of the writing that exists on tusk most of its focus is in some way uh, about the fact that tusk is a commentary on colonialism you can't connect or disconnect the plot of this movie from the fact that it's trying to make some sort of statement about um how uh, colonizers treat the people that they're colonizing how they try to to infect their culture to some extent to take over that culture this movie does seem to take the position that it would be better to uh, appropriate the culture as opposed to try to respect it outside of that ba- boundary, but it it does have something to say about colonialism. But especially in the context of the ending, I'm not sure I fully get it. Liam, what's your take on Tusks' commentary on colonialism? It's a bit confused, isn't
2: it? <laughs> Just a big sigh. Because <laughs> I because
0: I don't think it has a clear
1: like that. That was that was the lens through which I could most. Get close to this movie having a a perspective was like, okay, all right, colonialism. But by the end, it does very much feel like uh, Tusk is not Tusk is not actually a stand in. in in a strong way for India. Mm. And it becomes even more confusing when he says in the interview that Tusk is Christ. And then I'm like, oh, Oh, right. Oh,
2: I missed that. What was that?
1: In that interview that he sent us, that, that Doug sent us, there's a moment where I think that the the interviewer actually suggests like yeah but, you know it seems like there's like a you know a, a sacrificial thing with with the elephant and and Jodorowsky's like obviously Tusk is Christ and you're like oh sure <laughs> don't you think amazing. that
0: every single Jodorowsky movie an interviewer could be like well what was this character's whole deal and he'd be like oh he's supposed to be Christ <laughs> like every single character yeah
1: yeah <laughs> i mean to 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 the to the extent that he's on a journey he's he's uh, uh advocating for freedom like there is a version of of the Christian story, especially one that I think is interested in, that would kind of work in this movie in certain scenes. But the overall movie, no, it doesn't even fit anything he's done before in that way. So, like... And then let alone when I bring in the whole colonialism thing, it's like, well, you know, it doesn't matter that they are basically, like, ruling the lives of these people. They've learned compassion for an elephant, so everything is good now. It's just, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know that this movie, in its form, again, there might have been all kinds of intended themes and ideas I mean that's sort of what I feel is that it's not just that it's incomplete in the sense that the editing feels off and it feels like it's missing scenes it feels incomplete as an idea and that's the thing that I never thought I would feel about a Jodorowsky film is that even if the whole thing was a mess there would be strong ideas coming across and that's not how I felt about this
0: I mean the core of it is how Elise and her father differ in their approach to the the culture and the people of india but this is still a very white centered movie right and that is kind of the thing that i most have difficulty with is the fact that they're trying to comment on something but none of the lead characters can speak for themselves and 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 really the suggestion i made a little joke about it earlier john morrison he will not integrate himself into the culture whatsoever. He he sees himself as as British, and he you know he puts up the flags and he wants to make sure that everyone knows it. All of his friends are white upper class people. That's kind of his deal. Elise, she is a part of the culture. But what about the end? Well, th- th- I'm going to get to that in just a second. But Elise, okay. <laughs> she she considers herself, I guess she considers herself Indian because she dresses like the people there and she listens to their music, not the music that her father wants to listen to, and she wants to be part of that culture. But I mean, there's an element of cosplay, that you might say, in terms of her character as well, that I find a little bit troubling. But then there's the ending, where John Morrison, you know, his, his daughter has left uh, with her, with Richard Cairn. He's all alone, and his, his servants, uh, the people that he surrounds himself with, they basically invite him into the culture, and they bring him to a place where he basically reaches another level of appreciation for them, but also sort of integrates himself into the culture in a very direct way. You know, they paint him, they, they make him, but he is no longer above them in any way. He is amongst the culture. What was your interpretation of that, Liam? It seemed to, honestly, my thought was,
1: this is going to seem weird, but my immediate thought and the one that still stuck with me is that it's the reveal that the movie is not actually about Elise and the elephant. It's about him. Sure.
0: I think there's something to that. That
1: the way it ended made me go, oh, I get it. Like under the surface of this drama where Elise loves the elephant because she's connected to the elephant and she loves the land. But she also kind of loves this American guy and she loves her dad. But he is trying to negotiate. All of this is about this dude kind of learning to let go of who he is. And then the version of the, what I felt like he was embracing Doug was not actually India at the end, but rather rather for Jodorowsky, this kind of uh, indigenous spirituality, which we've mm. seen in his other art, he sort of conflates like he's more than willing to be specific about the details of individual beliefs but he has a feeling that the uh common spirituality of the people is a more pure form of enlightenment than any institutionalized religion which is like not that uncommon but for him it's like a very deep thing that comes across in a lot of his films and that's what i was sort of feeling like it's like john is dying to his own identity so maybe this is the vaguely christ-like part he's sort of dying to who he is and sort of reconnecting to this indigenous group, but it it could have been, I don't think it's specifically Indian at all. It's just that these are a group of people who have this thing that he doesn't understand. And it's sort of represented by like the, the partly by that, all the people who are either British or who are uh, acting in a more civilized way are always in conflict with these elephants. But you notice the, uh, the guy who's both the, the sort of hermetic, Yogi, sure, you know, guy without a home, magician Mm -hmm. guy. He's always chill with the elephants. He's just always chill. He's also always getting in the way in a way that's clearly on purpose, you know. Mm -hmm. And he ends up being the guide, the 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 one who you know in some way changes John's life. And like so, I I just think the the film. Maybe my suspicion is that given more time to re-sort of configure what we're seeing, it would become more clear that John was on a journey and not feel like a sudden
0: change at the end where it's like apparently we care about this character and not about the elephant as much. I don't. I don't know. I I guess there's an interpretation that Tusk isn't meant to necessarily represent the Indian people. But it's meant to represent every character to some extent. The fact that the chains are the chains he keeps on himself, right? Because of his unwillingness to embrace whether it be the spirituality, whether it be the lifestyle, whether it be the culture of that place. Because when the magician character early on talking about how you know it's a beautiful elephant and he deserves to be free, I mean that that could be a commentary on all of these people who are basically. You know, the expectations of themselves and the cultural expectations are what keep them from being free. But I mean, this is getting into heady places, but you want to take this into heady places. That's kind of the purpose of doing a Jodorowsky podcast. Um, Over to you, Julia, your thoughts on the colonialism aspect of this movie. Is it something that you feel like it took a firm shape or was it a little confused?
2: I think that I have a slightly different opinion than you do because I have re- read the book in the fact sure. that, okay, we, we're in Thailand in the book. You still have these white people, but you sure. also have the bad guys in that book are Chinese. So mm, then you sure. add this ele- yeah. element of another country man, like that, they're, that the, the, the white man and the Thai can be against together. Like they have a bit of unity that way. And, you know, because it's written by a gentleman in the early 1900s, it's, it's, brutally terribly like i i just they're so white and they're so rich and they're so condescending and like just you know and and it's written in in a way as it would at this time period where you don't even think about it it's like oh yes these people are beneath me Uh, of course you know this kind of feeling so there's actually no that's you know because they're clearly the heroes right they're the white guys they're the heroes and so in this at least jodorowsky is pointing at them and saying like look what idiots they are you right. know, there, there isn't any of that in the book. So he's able to kind of take this nauseating white power thing and turn it into something that turning them make them look like assholes. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. then there you are, like you've kind of done up on the on the source material. A bit. Sure.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting, obviously, a very intentional change made. I also, you know, we, we haven't really talked that much about it, but the fact that there was a another core writer involved here. I wonder what, he's unfortunately passed away. I would have loved to have heard his perspective on writing for a mind like Jodorowsky and how much would have been changed between that script and what we ended up seeing. Uh, I know that it's hard to gauge this because we watched a dubbed version of the movie though I think that the dubbed version that we saw at least used some of the voices. It sounded like Christopher Mitchum's voice at the very least Any thoughts on the performances in this? I know that's a really kind of strange question to ask but you know there there are basically only a handful of real characters in this movie and Even in those characters not a lot of them have a lot to do Uh, Sticking with you Julia any any standout performances in Tusk?
2: No everybody's pretty pretty wooden the whole way through uh and the only people who are given it energy are our villains who i loathed i was like please stop cutting to them because they're driving me crazy they reminded me of the cops (laughs) from last house to the left where you're just like yes stop cutting to them please (laughs) you're ruining the vibe (laughs) of this movie man please stop um but it's also like i i don't know i just felt detached from kind of everybody in the in the movie and i can imagine I don't know, because I feel like he does a pretty good job of getting performances out of people. Like you know, you feel like he would get people he's always we all we always know he's very specific about what he wants, right? So when you look at Holy Mountain, like I'm sure every single performance down to the detail is what he wants. And I feel like this why would you direct it this way?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why why wouldn't you make it a little bit more expressive. You know, why wouldn't you put a little bit more life and color into it? It is a very interesting question. The only performances that I think stand out to me are some of the people. the Some of the, the, the t- townsfolk and particularly the magician guy because he is a lot of fun. He seems like the only happy character in the entire movie. and But everyone else, it just seems... It, they're either a blank slate or a cartoon. I mean, the, there's the priest character, right, who's just a cartoon, and then there's the two villains, and they're just straight-up cartoons. And I think that that is intentional, but, it boy, it makes it hard to emotionally connect to anything. Liam, did you... And I you, can't uh, understand...
2: M- can I just say, I can't understand yeah. why Elise uh, would be with Richard at the end of this movie. Yeah, yeah he yeah. never like really it, it does the of, thing, right? <laughs> no, like it kind of makes sense in the book, but it doesn't make sense here. I was like, no, no, he... He's still going to hunt them like you've learned nothing. (laughs) Why do you suddenly like him? You've hated them this whole time.
0: There's an interpretation of this movie, by the way, that it isn't against the hunt of elephants. It's just against the hunt of that one elephant. She doesn't seem to be that bothered by the fact that they're hunting elephants. She just doesn't want them to get Tusk. So it's like, yeah, the elephants, whatever, just continue on with the hunt of that. You can do that, Richard. But leave Tusk alone. He's a special elephant. It's a little... uh. I don't know. I don't know what to take away from that at all. <laughs> Liam, your thoughts on the performances in Tusk? Uh, Tusk was pretty good. Tusk was good. The elephants <laughs> did very well. Tusk was
2: good. Yeah, I like
0: that the That elephant elephants. that kneels, the, the kneeling elephants, those are pretty
1: good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's all I got. The elephants are pretty good. Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't – the, and, and I'll go the other direction on this with this and say I don't actually – If there was other stuff going on in the movie, the fact that no one, I feel like, is giving much of a performance wouldn't matter as much if there was other spectacle or ideas or something else for me to cling on to. It's that that I suspect watching it, and maybe I'm wrong, but it really feels like, am I supposed to care about just the drama of this? Because if I am, you might want someone to, like, I don't know... Give a performance because, like the way it is right now, I, I'm not pulled into these characters. I don't care about them in any way. So, like, at least do something crazy. Like, make something crazy happen. Do something. I don't know. It just, I, 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 uh, I don't feel like anyone was doing much. And like you said, Doug, there's, there's, there's side characters, the, the, the actual local folks. There's some people who stand a little bit, but there's not enough of them for me to feel like they impact the story as much as I want them to.
2: And you know, for me, the ending for Elise that I want is if she marries a local Indian man.
0: Right. If, yes. if, if you'd
2: given me that ending, I would have been on board.
0: Isn't there a little bit of a suggestion also that yes. one of the locals actually does like her in that way? I think he's the one that gets killed later on in the movie. But, but I mean, he's because yeah,
2: he's Tusk's keeper. So she he loves them both. Yeah.
0: It's uh yeah, there's, there, there, there's a lot of weird stuff when it comes to the ending. Yeah. Um, I do want, we're being a little negative, I know it's hard not to when it comes to the movie overall, but I do want to talk about the things in this movie that do feel like Alejandro Jodorowsky. Uh, I'm including in that um, the Maharaja's wife that Liam found so terrifying or would have uh, if seeing it as a child. Just too confusing to see a woman with a deep voice apparently for you, Liam. Uh, The presentation of the priest in the movie, uh, the fact that the Maharaja has a preserved piece of cotton candy in his room. A lot of the stuff around the Maharaja actually is kind of weird in a way that feels very Jodorowsky but also that whole sequence where the elephant is stopping the train and we have the priest we see the priest later on actually the priest character that shows up he's a very strange character obviously is meant to be um, made fun of and a mockery uh, and in some way supposed to represent the church in some way going over to you Julia what is the most Jodorowskian thing about this movie and what what were some of these touches that you particularly appreciated
2: uh, the the preserved cotton candy was pretty high on the list. The fact yes. that the Maharaja's wife was a very famous Coney Island hot dog vendor <laughs> right. made me yeah. really happy. And honestly, kind of made me be like, can we just have a side movie about them? Can we just have yeah. a movie about them? I'd rather be like with them the whole time, to be honest. Um, they were very wacky. The Holy Party was great. And I was like, that's made for Jodorowsky right out the gate. Mm-hmm. Fucking holy craziness. I thought that was really fantastic. You know, and like I said, the 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 comic duo... Is very Jodorowsky, but I feel like he never gets that obnoxious with the obnoxious characters in his other sure. movies. Like this was pretty grating. Um, yeah. So, but so where there were those little bits that I liked a lot, but most overall, it just felt not like him very much at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. If anything, the fact that there are a few touches now and then it just puts it in in stark contrast to the fact that most of the movie doesn't feel like that at all. Uh, yes. so it doesn't really help it in any way. But were there were there any of those uh, Jodorowskian touches that 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 stood out to you, Liam?
1: Uh Julia touched on all the ones I really noticed. There I guess there are little elements here and there that stand out as like kind of strange um where I'm like that's that was a weird thing but I guess I expect that. But there there wasn't much beyond those that I was that that uh, really
0: hit me. I'm going to bring up one that you probably do remember, Liam. It's near the beginning of the movie, and it does involve those bumbling idiots. In but they get on the wrong side of that magician character, and there's a part where they're trying to basically fight him, and he turns himself into a rooster. Um, oh
1: yes, yes, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, and he kind of like he's able like to, to basically disappear. He 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 actually demonstrates. Legitimate magic in front of them. It's something that I felt like the movie was going to kind of lean into a lot more As it went on but it doesn't and I do think there's a like a whimsy to that sequence That is a lot of fun that the rest of the movie never really Lives up to and I was really kind of depressed like I said I find the first half hour of this movie has a lot of stuff to recommend it It seems to be setting the table for a movie that the rest of the movie doesn't connect to um, but I think that's something that felt very Jodorowsky to me, this this magician who's able to make a fool out of these characters.
2: And just the town magician and everybody knows he's fucking magic and it can turn into you can shape shift, and we're all good with that. Like so. But let's talk about these elephants, not that guy.
0: We've talked about it several times at this point. Most of the criticism of this movie seems to be focused on its second half. Many people describe it as overlong and ponderous. Uh, Julia, back over to you. We've talked a a lot, I think, about the first half of the movie. We've talked a a good bit about the second half as well. What are your thoughts on the second half of it? Do you agree with that, that they're a little bit ponderous?
2: Yes, but I always fight a hard battle because, on one hand, yes, I feel like the movie is a little overly long. On the other hand, I want all the Joe you can give me. Always mm, give me more. Interesting, yes. So of course. I will take the long version of anything. Like uh, George Romero, they had just found a copy of Martin that is three and a half hours long. Then I'm yes. like, holy fucking shit. Yes. Yes so into that so i will watch the, the more you have the better like if it's just daily rushes i don't care i'll watch sorry, it. i'm
0: just thinking we finally get to see the long version of martin and all the new sequences are just elephants walking around a jungle. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry please continue
2: <laughs> no that's all just give me you know give me more even if it's not that interesting i'll still watch it I feel like
0: I would be a lot more forgiving to the second half of this movie if, again, if it wasn't Jodorowski's name on it, right? I mean, there is something interesting in and of itself, just watching the elephants do their thing, that sequence where Elise gets lost outside and Tusk has to save her and he, he gores an elephant. I mean, th- these are kind of things that, that might be interesting and engaging in a different story by a different director. It just isn't the right one for this movie. Liam, do you have any thoughts on the uh, second half of Tusk?
1: There's a there's a kind of a um, an energy to that earlier part that you liked, Doug, which I wasn't as uh, into as you were, but sure. I was I was still interested at that point. Um, And as the movie goes on, it's not just that it's not clear why we should care about these characters, but also the style of the editing gets a little longer without Mm. really being clear why. So I feel like it starts to lose what little energy it had. Uh, And I thought, really, when that started to happen, like, okay, but that means something weird is going to happen. We're going to, we're we're going to, we're going to, we're going to skip this narrative train into some strange territory. And then that didn't happen. The the, the sh- like, other than that act of magic that I forgot about, I'm glad you reminded me what the most abstract weird thing that happens after that is the ending, which then feels a little tacked on. It's like, Oh, now he's having a mystical experience at the end. And, uh, and I, I appreciate that to some extent, but it, it just felt so out of nowhere. Um, uh, and, and and yet it was maybe one of the parts that at least felt to me like I was back in a place I kind of understood with with Jodorowsky. Uh
2: I guess I feel you know we've talked about Orson Welles a couple of times as well. We, when we look at Magnificent Ambersons, which is a good film but not a great film, sure. and you just go, okay, it really can just be something that we're just not seeing. I really just feel like the editing can't be his. It's true. This, you yeah. know, this is just not. So I think it's, you know, our analysis of it is, is slightly biased and unfair, honestly. If you mm-hmm. go, okay, well, if this isn't his vision, then how can you really say how can you really say, right?
0: Yeah, it's 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 interesting though, right? Because it's it's not like say Orson Well's notes on a touch of evil. And the re edited version of Touch of Evil, which is actually, I think, a much better version of that movie, or even something like The Other Side of the Wind, where it was an unfinished movie. This was a finished movie and it was released in this version with Jodorowsky's name on it. The fact that he's kept it out of circulation, so to speak, I mean, that, and has told people not to see it, that is one thing. But this is a completed Alejandro Jodorowsky movie that was released, that was reviewed, that was out in the world for at least a period of time. Uh, so I think we have to judge it on its own merits, even if we know that it's not its not the vision that Jodorowsky would have liked to put out into the world. I guess I'm a little confused about why he didn't take his name off of it if he hated it so much. But there could be all sorts of financial or political reasons why that wasn't the case. Liam, you mentioned the ending of the movie. We've talked about it already a little bit. Uh, it does feature the uh, character of John Morrison kind of... Reaching a higher plane Embracing the uh, mysticism of the area But at the very least I think we're supposed to see him As, as kind of giving up his colonial ways uh, Aside from that part of it And and, and kind of taking into the, the whole scope of the ending Including Tusk's rampage Knocking down the building onto one of the villains What were your thoughts of the ending of Tusk?
1: I mean, yeah I got nothing against seeing a, an elephant rampage Though Yeah though. Uh, rampage, though, you know, rampage. The monkey survived. That's the main thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. But yeah. you know, it it by that point, I was really just ready for it to be over. I I had I had run <laughs> out. Oh, I had run oh, out boy. of steam. I just really had like it's there just wasn't much there. And honestly, normally a main character having an almost entirely unexplained revelatory moment, and that's how we end the film, would actually be really fun for me. But yeah. I think. In this case, I just wasn't invested enough to even
0: care because he doesn't feel like a character, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame, isn't it? Because it does feel like there are elements of that ending that were exactly what Jodorowsky would have wanted out of it. It's just that it doesn't connect well enough to the rest of the movie to have any sort of impact whatsoever. Julia, your thoughts on the ending of Tusk, including that rampage, which I guess I think we're all in agreement. It's great to see an elephant knock down a building.
1: Oh,
2: totally! It is, yeah. Rampage for the win. Uh, the uh, you know the ending is you know you have Elise and Richard going off to be happy ever after. Uh-huh. And again, I don't see them together. It makes me kind of icky to think of them together, especially if like she hated them the whole time. Um, and then where are they Constitu- going?
0: By where do they go together?
2: I don't. I don't know. I don't right, know because
0: like she loves India. That's our whole deal. Are they staying in India? If they are, then why is the father like? In, I'm losing my daughter.
2: Uh, in the book, he gives Richard the his his, his job. Basically, like he leaves, goes back to the UK and then gives Richard until he can take over from him. Um, So I guess, you know, they have their happy ending, quote unquote, and Tusk gets his freedom. Yay for Tusk. We all like that. But the thing, the problem with John Morrison is like, to me, he's just a villain. He's a bad guy. He's someone who deserves comeuppance, not deserving hero, like to be the hero, because I don't think of him as the hero at all. And even yeah. though he's kind of sort of compassionate, not really. He mm-hmm. like, he's a dick to all of his servants. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you want me to like this guy for. So I don't, I think it's. If you're going to go about it that way where he's a villain where you want him to get his comeuppance, but his comeuppance is actually now he's become part of the people that he hated. Mm-hmm. I don't know if what that is. I'm not really sure. It makes me feel uncomfortable and I, go, I don't know what's happening. But it does feel like very Jodorowsky, so I like that about it.
0: <laughs> Sometimes, like I was saying before, the most Jodorowsky in parts of this movie actually work against it because it's so at odds with the majority of the movie. Um, I just want to wrap up our thoughts on Tusk here, and I'm going to start with my own, which is that I'm glad this movie exists in a form that we can see. It would be a real shame if this was locked away in a way that we just couldn't have access to it whatsoever. And I know that there's a sort of selfishness in my saying that. Because Jodorowsky doesn't want us to see it. And he doesn't believe that it's representative of his vision in any way. And and I guess he does feel like there's a form of this movie that he created that would be releasable, that would be of a high quality. I never really answered at the beginning of our conversation on it whether I thought... That it could be re-edited into something better, and i I'd like to think that it could. I like to think that there's enough in here of interest that, with a deft touch, with a little bit more of the the mind of Jodorowsky, uh, able to to kind of guide the editing, guide the the shot choices, guide the pacing of it a little bit. That there might be something a little bit more in here. But I don't think that you're ever going to get out of Tusk. The kind of mind-bending films that we've seen from Jodorowsky at this point. I just don't think that the material has that sort of of um, oddness in it. And maybe it yeah, wouldn't be it's, appropriate. It's no,
2: it's no Dune. I'll say yeah, that. Even exactly, though Dune, right? also quite a dry and technical novel. Yeah. But then, you know, we got that going for it. He likes those kind of... And
0: maybe that sort of wildness wouldn't be appropriate for the material, and the kind of story that he's trying to tell. It's just that when I hear Panic Fable at the beginning, when I see it on the screen, and I connect it to those wild theatrical performances we talked about with the turtles and all of that sort of stuff, and then his comic work as well, what I expected was energy. And this movie just does not have very much energy, and that... That is probably the worst thing I could say about a movie from Alejandro Jodorowsky, a person yeah. who has so much kinetic energy when you're st- watching him is that you can't take your eyes off of him. In a movie that, that has so much to recommend it, I wanted to not look at it a lot of the times because it just did not interest me. And I think that's, a, that's my final word on Tusk. I want to get both of your final thoughts on the film as well, starting with you, Julia. Your final thoughts on 1980s Tusk.
2: I think that you should always watch extra material from directors you love. And if you love this director, you should watch this movie. Is it his best movie? No. Is it a movie by Jodorowski? And you can tell? Yes. So it depends (laughs) on how you feel about that. As a, you know, obviously, as doing a fucking podcast about him, I'm kind of a Jodorowski nerd. So I will. One hundred percent. Watch anything you give me that he's done. So you know if you're like me, who just go, okay, what happens when you have a genius and clearly is restrained just by budget and whatever else is you know looming over him that he's not getting able to see his full vision. I think that it's always interesting to watch no matter what because you go, okay, they can obviously do a lot with a little, even in little touches where you can tell that it's him.
0: One hundred percent. And I think that's that's a really valid way to look at it as well. This isn't as much of a continuation of the filmography that, that began with Fondo Lis and continued with El Topo and The Holy Mountain, as it is a special feature in the career of Jodor, Jodorowsky, that this is something that we're lucky to be able to experience, and that we should take as much out of it as we can. It's a little hard to judge it in the context of his entire career, knowing that really nobody was happy with it. But it, I'm glad that we we're able to have this conversation about it and to see it in the context of where he was, because the fact is, Jodorowsky's life and career were were greatly affected by the failure of both Dune and Tusk, certainly those back to back. He wasn't going to make another movie for almost a decade. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, who knows if Tusk was a success, if he had a really satisfying experience, maybe we would have had a series of, of Alejandro Jodorowsky movies throughout the rest of the decade. So the fact that this movie is what it is, is important in the life and career of Jodorowsky, which is why it was important for us to talk about it. Liam, I want to give you the final word, your final thoughts on Tusk.
1: I wish I was more excited at the idea of him finding that negative and, and re-editing it. Right. Um... I am just because I, I mean, part of me, I'm not because I, I wish the man would take it easy. He's he's not as young as he once was. But uh, part well, of me- if did,
2: he's to if he's going to put any energy anyway, it needs to be completing his trilogy of his autobiography. Like, yeah. That's yes. way more I than, than I doing agree. This. I agree.
1: I um, agree. Um, uh, but, you know, like, I, I, I am interested in it. I would watch it, obviously. But- what I saw didn't make me think, I really wish he could just get back there and redo it. I just, I almost feel like leave it alone. It is what it is. And no, no artist owes me perfection. So like, I, you know, I feel sad for the idea that this might've kept him from making another movie for a decade, but the idea that like, I'm bitter that he didn't follow up the Holy Mountain with immediately another masterpiece. I don't know how he made the fucking Holy Mountain. The (laughs) idea that he could do anything like that again is a fucking unbelievable thing. So I'm perfectly comfortable with the idea that like this didn't work out. I don't need to be mad at him about it and I don't really need him to recut it but if for some reason the man lives to 120 and he's got the time and he will I'll
2: watch it he'll never die he's fucking Jodorowsky man I mean honestly
1: I'd watch if they found the negatives and one of his kids recut it I'd watch that too Honestly, yeah. I really would. <laughs> so like, you know, uh, but that being said, if if we have some more casual listeners who are like, uh, is this worth my effort? I would not actually say that anyone who isn't committed at the level that we are, needs to find this fucking movie. I just don't, I just don't think you need to.
2: You just need to listen to us talk about it for two hours. That's all you need. Yeah, so
0: long. <laughs> uh, speaking of finding the movie, you you can track down a copy of Tusk. It is available online in various streaming uh, sites, but not official ones. As I mentioned before, this movie has no official release. You can find it on YouTube. It might disappear at some point. I can't promise that it'll ever be available, and certainly don't uh, don't look for pristine video quality or audio quality. That's just not what is available when it comes to tusk. I would be happy by the way that if this movie just came out in this form in a more you know professionally produced home version to at least give us a uh, more of an opportunity to see it in a form that that looks as visually stunning as it seems to be from watching the version that we saw We're
2: looking at you criterion yeah we're looking at you
0: criterion i, I wouldn't uh, <laughs> i wouldn't hedge our bets on that one uh, if you want to read the novel pulorn of the elephants that this movie was adapted from uh, you can actually find that on archive.org just do a search there you can read the entirety of that right now but That's it. That's our thoughts on 1980s Tusk, the very controversial film from Alejandro Jodorowsky. I'm glad that we've talked about it, and I'm glad that this is a movie that's going to get a little bit more attention through this podcast, simply because, as you were saying, Julia, this is still a film, a full movie by Alejandro Jodorowsky that nobody talks about. And, you know, I'm not just saying that. I'm just, look look up information on it. There's almost nothing out there. And when you find something out there, it's always, hey, it's the movie that no one talks about that Jodorowsky made. This is a kind of, in some ways, a lost movie. And it's so rare to see such a beloved filmmaker as Jodorowsky have an entire movie that people just don't watch, can't see, and don't write about, don't talk about. So it's still a very interesting movie, even if there isn't a lot that I love about it. On the next episode of Jodorowsky, now I'd mentioned just a moment ago that uh, the failure of Dune and Tusk uh, meant that Jodorowsky abandoned the filmmaking for almost an entire decade. We could move on to Santa Sangre at this point, but that's a huge gap of his career that we'd be skipping over, and we just don't want to do that. So on the next episode, we're going back to the world of of comics, and we're doing a comic interlude, a comic catch-up on the career of Jodorowsky in the 1980s, Uh, not entirely the 80s, we're actually going to start with his 1978 comic with Mobius, The Eyes of the Cat, Uh, then we're going to follow that up with The Jealous God from 1984, and then we're going to talk about 1987's The Magical Twins, Uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky and George Bess did that uh, novel in the late 80s. I know nothing about these three works except for maybe a little bit about what I've read. I'm coming at it from a, a, a space of complete ignorance. And when it comes to Jodorowsky, that's the most exciting perspective to to, uh, to aim at these things with. Uh, any thoughts from either of you, starting with you, Julia, on uh, what we're going to be covering on the next episode? Three comic book graphic novels.
2: Yeah, I know zero. Absolutely zero. I'm so excited. <laughs> like, that's so exciting to me. Because, I, you know, when do you get that that's my life is like trying to learn as little as possible about things so when i finally ingest them they're like the most magical things of all time so this will be incredibly fun for me
0: it you know it's it's funny we're we're all starting from that 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 zero uh, you know spot where we don't know anything about these three things but when we record whether it be a month month and a half or so on this episode by the time it's finished we're gonna know everything yeah. <laughs> <about it. laughs> And that's going to be really exciting. We're going to do a lot of research. We're going to find out what they're all about. And I can't wait to dive into them. Liam, are you excited about these comic uh, projects that we're going to be uh, covering?
1: Definitely. I think I'm I'm ready to dive into them and uh, get a little more excited than I am post-Tusk.
0: <laughs> i also like that these are individual things that the you know it was fun going through the incall call and all three parts of it but the the, the mythology of it was just there's so much depth there and everything connected together and we only scratched the surface of it these are self-contained things hey i think it's just going to be easy
2: <laughs> so when, when are we going to sit down and we're going to do a tusk and tusk double feature
0: a <laughs> tusk and tusk kevin smith
2: and joala jodorowsky together again for the first time The deal no one knew we wanted, but yeah, it would be so fun.
0: I I guess I should make it clear. No matter what uh, criticisms I had of Alejandro Jodorowsky's Tusk, it's still the superior movie called Tusk.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, take that, Kevin Smith. Oh, that's mean. Kevin Smith's so nice.
0: (laughs) Very nice man. Seems like a very decent fella. Uh, If you want to check out, listeners, more episodes of Jodorowsky, and I bet you do, you want to dive into those archives, you can go over to cinemasmortgageboard.com, check out our entire archive there. All of our latest episodes are on cinepunks.com. And I want to hear what my two wonderful, wonderful co-hosts are up to. Julia, I know you're in the process of editing your film. Where are you with that, and where can people find you online?
2: Uh, so, yes, I am editing. I know what you need, which is my Stephen King dollar baby. And we're getting uh, post production is a long process, man. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the editing, but then you have color correction, sound correction, music. So it seems like we're making lots of progress, but then you have so much further to go. So, yeah, it's it ended up fast enough for me. I always want my life to be going faster than it's going. So, <laughs> um, but the cut is really good, and I'm very happy with it. And I think that everybody's really going to like it. So I'm so excited for people to see that, but it's uh, months and months away. Um, <laughs> but you can find me at Julia C. Marquesi on uh, Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok. And I also have another podcast called Horror Movie Survival Guide, which you can find online if you want to hear me talking about how you can survive horror movies and become the final girl. Because <laughs> I like to talk about uh, movies, as you probably noticed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Liam, uh, I, I'm privileged to be able to talk about the career of uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky with both of you. Liam, where can people find your latest work and uh, and what are you up to recently?
1: Oh, uh, they should check out the latest episodes of CinePunks and Horror Business. Uh, mostly just been doing that and then, of course, keeping up with our uh, endless schedule. Um, as far as new... <laughs>
0: <laughs> you make it sound like such a slack. It's supposed to be fun. That's the whole idea. <laughs> it, it is.
1: It it is. But I have no. But there's unlike Cinepunks and horror business that people try to keep up with. But we're very irregular. Me and Doug are make sure that you have something new every week because that's how committed we are. And um, I don't
0: want to toot my own horn, but toot toot. I do a lot of work into making sure all this stuff gets out. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Applause, gentlemen. Applause. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, but yeah, nothing else
0: no that's not true you can also find liam on twitter at liam rules that's r-u-l-z and i'm on there as well at doug underscore oh, sure. tilly i meant up,
1: you said upcoming projects i'm like nothing There's What no a rough cut
0: project? you have a sh- company that releases shirts
1: yeah but i don't know if we're gonna have anything out when this we're like just finishing something up so by the time this comes out i don't think we're gonna have anything that i need to promote so but it, you, you, you guys still want to direct people towards guys, the site you guys just missed a great drop so fuck you yeah.
0: Well, there's going to be great new shirts to come. You can find that at Rough Cut. What's the website? Fanclub.com. Um, I had a, a podcast called No Budget Nightmares focusing on micro-budget cinema. It's been on a lengthy hiatus since the beginning of the pandemic, but I did get together with my co-host Mo Porn to do a commentary for the film Bloodletting from 1997, and they, uh, there's going to be a super special edition that you can get over at makeflix.com. Uh, the film Bloodletting it's, uh, has a Blu-ray with tons of special features, and we have a commentary on the original vh VHS version of it. Moe and I have done commentaries for most of the work of J.R. Bookwalter and the films that he released throughout the 80s and 90s. You can find a lot of those over at makeflix.com uh, as well. But for now, this is it. We can go over to Cinema Smorgasbord. You can check out all the Jodowowski podcasts, all of the other podcasts that we have under that umbrella. Maybe you should do that because we need to take a little break. We got to, We need to recharge our batteries. We need to check out all of this comic work. We're going to dig in deep. We're going to do a deep dive. We're going to find out all there is to talk about in regards to Eyes of the Cat, The Jealous God from 1984, and The Magical Twins. And we're going to be back with you very, very soon. Good night, everyone.